Hey everyone, Stephen here. So, I have good news and bad news. The good news is that my partner and I are buying a house this week, which uh, is a huge step for us, and it's amazing, and I am one small step closer to fulfilling my dream of being a gay housewife, so that's great. Uh, it's a beautiful little house on the edge of Pisgah National Forest here in North Carolina, western North Carolina in the mountains. It's a gorgeous little house that looks out over pastures and, and forests, and we're super excited about it, and we are moving in this Saturday. The bad news is I am way behind on the show because of this. So we will be back to a regular schedule once we get moved in. I have a ton of really amazing episodes banked for you. And I have big plans for the show. And uh, once we move into a new studio space at the new house, I'm sure that I will be able to bring you even more awesome stuff. But until then... I'm still very behind. The past uh, two weeks have just been full of cleaning and tidying and packing and et cetera, et cetera, getting all my ducks in a row uh, to get moved in. So because of that, I do not have a sacred tension episode for you this week. But because I didn't want to just leave you with the dead air, I'm giving you an interview with my dear friend and colleague Matt Langston on his show, Eleven D Life. This aired over a year ago in April of 2018, and uh, we just talked about love and life and art and what inspires us and our relationships, and it was just a, a really fun and insightful conversation. Matt and I just always have great intimate conversations. Uh, he's a wonderful friend. He is also the owner of the Rock Candy Podcast Network and Rock Candy Recordings, of which Sacred Tension is a part. And if you have not yet listened to Eleven D Life, please go do that. It mostly deals with the music industry and creativity, and he talks to artists of all different stripes. It's a really, really great show. Also, speaking of Rock Candy, uh, we are still growing the Rock Candy Podcast Network. And if you have a podcast or you are thinking of starting one, then please email me. Go to stephenbradfordlong.com forward slash contact and send me your pitch. I would love to hear your ideas. And uh, if we think it's a good fit, then maybe you can come on board. In return for joining the Rock Candy Network, you get access to our entire backlog of music. You get free consultation from the studio. You also become a member of an amazing creative community and uh, people who will promote your work and vice versa. One final piece of housekeeping before we move on to the interview. This show is only possible because of my patrons. And so if you love my work, if you find yourself listening to it every week or binging it once a month or whatever, then please consider throwing me a dollar a month or five dollars a month. Uh, it's not much, but it really, really does help. This show takes an enormous amount of time. It usually takes five to ten hours a week to produce along with my other creative work. I love doing it. It brings me a lot of life. Uh, and I've heard from many of you that you love it. And in order in order to make it sustainable, please go to my Patreon. 
and that will ensure that it has a long life. Also, if you love the work that I do with Rock Candy, if you love the other shows that we're producing, Eleven D Life, Bible Bash, Bubble and Squeak, and all the other future shows that we will bring on, you donating to my Patreon will help those as well because the unfortunate reality is that money creates margin. Money uh, allows me to stress less and to have a wider margin to do more creative work. And I believe in bringing this work to the world for free, but in order to do that, I need some financial backing. So if you are so inspired, please go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And in return, you will get extra content every week. You will get a patrons only podcast called House of Heretics and some other uh, some other things as well. So if that interests you, please do that. However, if you are in a financial situation where you just can't give, that is totally okay. Please go to iTunes and just leave me a five-star review. Share the podcast with your friends. Share it on social media. There are so many ways you can get the word out about sacred tension and about these incredibly important conversations that we are having here. And one, I know I said that that was the last thought, but I have one more thought. I have started a Slack community for sacred tension, and I have been absolutely amazed by by how active it is and by how much people are getting out of it. Uh, Slack is a business app, but I'm co-opting it to create kind of a private community. The link to my community is in the show notes. Uh, sometimes just listening to a podcast isn't enough. Sometimes you need to engage with a community of like-minded heathens and questioners and post-Christians and Christians and Satanists, etc. We have a whole spectrum of belief. We have Hindus, we have evangelical Christians, we have pagans, and we have Satanists, we have agnostics and atheists. We have a pretty wide range. I'm I'm really happy with uh, with the community there. It's a lot of fun, and I would love for you to join it. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I give you my conversation with Matt Langston on the podcast, Eleven D Life. Welcome to the weekend, Eleven D Lifers. I'm Matt. So happy that you're here. So as many of you guys know, making a podcast is a lot of work. There's a lot of different things that go on behind the scenes to make these shows happen. Lots of editing, lots of scheduling for interviews, lots of just energy that goes into making the podcast a cohesive experience for all of you guys. So as it stands right now, we have probably five or six different episodes that are in the works. And gosh, they are super fun. I cannot wait for you guys to hear them. In the meantime, while we're working on the more long form episodes, from time to time, we like to do what's called banking an episode, which means that we do an interview with someone or we have a conversation with someone and we go ahead and put it aside. We put it in the bank so that we can pull it out (laughs) on a week where we're working on a bunch of other shows, but don't necessarily have the time to put out a long form interview episode. This week, I am talking with one of my great friends, Stephen Long. You have heard him on the podcast before. He has his own podcast. It is called Sacred Tension, and it's amazing. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. If you have not checked his out, uh, you need to do that. One of the recurring pieces of feedback that we always get about Eleventy Life is that people love hearing us talk about our journey in faith. They love when we're talking to other artists and other people in our lives about their faith and how it's changing and shifting and how they're growing as, as people. If that is your thing, you will not want to miss out on Stephen's podcast. That's exactly what it's all about. 
Scientology, LGBTQ issues, exploring cults. Steven does it all, and he does it in a really interesting way. This episode of Eleventy Life is a banked conversation that I had with Steven. Some of the funnest moments in life are when we are just with our friends asking each other hard questions or tough probing questions about each other. We talk about love, relationships, creating, creativity, where we think it comes from, what are ways to stay creative, what are ways to stay in relationships, and what are some of the things in our lives that we regret the most. It's a really fun, awesome conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. We're gonna get right into it, but I want to let you know before we start today's episode that we have a brand new music slash lyric video out for our song Microchip from our new album, Rad Science. And it's super fun. You can check that out on our Facebook page. I'm going to leave links to this in the show notes. Thank you to everybody who is hitting the follow button on Spotify. You have no idea how much it means for our band. To everybody who is browsing around our online store and buying stuff, you guys make this podcast possible. To everyone who's supporting Rock Candy Recordings and all the different things that we make here, all of the Eleven D related things that we have going on here. You guys consistently encourage us and make all of this stuff possible, and we love doing it for you. So much love to all our 11D family and 11D lifers out there, and uh, on with this week's show. Davey and I have the most nasally voices. <laughs> like whenever I listen back to the podcast, like while we're doing the podcast, I can hear myself in my headphones. And I'm like, wow, Matt, you've got a really great radio voice. Like you could really do it. I think and you I have a great radio voice. listen back to it and it's always like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like a unicorn frolicking through Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Well, I think that is what you are at heart, if I'm honest. But it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. No, I think you have a great radio voice. I think I, I sound like a pretentious douchebag. No, I'm jealous of your radio voice. Whenever I listen to myself, I'm like, <laughs> God, he sounds like such an asshole. That's no, what I think. Just, you're, you're articulate. Like most people like me, they get on the microphone and they're like, oh, yeah, there. <laughs> and then you get on there and you like, you could, you know, I don't know, you could read Dr. Seuss and it would just sound like the most amazing thing. That isn't really a good thing, though, yeah. because it means that I can say the stupidest shit and it and and just because you know i i have this deep lovely voice i i can say anything i love how you just kind of started caressing your own I have, voice i have a deep lovely i have a deep lovely voice <laughs> and i hate myself for it i hate it it's a burden you will never understand peasants vocal peasants <laughs> the rest of the world no but you have a fantastic voice don't get down on yourself for it <laughs> i mean it is what it is i gotta i gotta you, you go with it one way or the other yeah, absolutely like, whatever Hi, everybody uh sorry go on welcome to this episode of 11 <laughs> life i'm so happy that you are with us this week i'm happy that you're that you're um hi everybody well welcome to <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Eleven D Life. Uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us this week, wherever you are. I hope that you have had an awesome week. If you're getting this podcast the day it comes out, it's Friday. You should have a lot of things to look forward to. If not, you should start planning them on Monday. So by the time Friday gets here, you have cool shit to do on the weekend. Other than uh, listen to us. Other than, <laughs> other than listen to the podcast. <laughs> so just a heads up at the top of the hour, um, this episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, this week, Davey was not able to make it to the podcast due to some unforeseen circumstances. So 
Stephen's coming in to to fill in, and I figured that we would just have a really fun weekend edition of Eleventy Life. Yeah. So for those of you who have listened to the show before, you've probably heard Stephen. He has his own podcast called Sacred Tension, and it is, in Stephen's words, a it podcast is about faith and doubt and religion and LGBT issues and whatever strikes my fancy. And it's absolutely wonderful. If you haven't checked it out, check the show notes and uh, subscribe to his podcast. I've been on your show a few times talking about uh, whatever. The Nashville Statement. The Nashville Statement, cults. Cults, uh, doubts, <laughs> existential angst of all varieties. Yes, yes. I love existential angst, as as you, you put it. It almost kind of <laughs> sounds like a Pokemon when you say it like that. <laughs> He's, I can't, I choose you, angst. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the funnest things, if you have friends, I hope you have friends. If you're listening to the podcast, the chances of you having them are a little bit slimmer than uh, with some. But uh, the podcast is your friend. And one of the things that Steve and I really enjoy doing is just kind of like prodding each other verbally to see what will come up. To see or, what comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, so I actually prepared a few questions uh, on this episode. And these are these are questions that I've found to be really fun uh no matter who you're talking to just like get in a room with a friend and i feel like these things kind of come up at some point normally you have to put in you know hours weeks months years of friendship before you ask these kinds of things of people uh-huh. <laughs> but in typical 11 life uh fashion we're just gonna head straight for the dessert bar let's do it and just do it i'm holding i'm embracing the unicorn i'm i'm that sounds really terrible <laughs> I, that's my I, life motto. Okay. Embrace, the, embrace unicorn. the unicorn. No, I'm I'm cuddling with Matt's plush unicorn and I have my safety blanket and everything will be okay. I'm not even embarrassed by it anymore. I mean, I'm a I'm a grown ass man. His house is fucking overrun it's, with it unicorns. Is, it's overrun with unicorns. Um it, I've been in eleven D since I was sixteen years old. Uh-huh. And people have constantly mailed unicorns to my house, I think brought it's unicorns wonderful. to shows. Like I just, I have a never ending supply of unicorns I everywhere. love unicorns, but I have the <laughs> excuse of being queer. <laughs> <laughs> and I have nothing to fall back on. Um, okay, cool. So, all right. First um, question. First question. Something that younger you needs to know before they turn into older you. Oh, goodness. Oh, younger me was a hot mess. (laughs) If you could go back and tell younger Steven one thing that might change the course of your entire life, what would that thing be? This is something that I've actually thought about a lot. And I, I, or would you have listened to yourself? I feel like there's no, no, I was, I was a, I was a little prick. I I would not have listened to me. I I had such authority issues. Yes. I would not. I would have been like, who the fuck are you? I'm so glad you said that because that like one of my favorite uh, South Park episodes is where Cartman goes, uh, he goes into the, he ends up in the future, ends up getting frozen in time and then has to go back to the present and convince himself that the Nintendo a Wii is just simply not worth it. Uh, (laughs) 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 Yeah, and it it made me wonder to myself, like, I wonder if there's something that I could have told younger Matt that would change who I am today. Right. I think, I don't know if it would have changed me, but it would have given me more hope because I think that when I was in my teens and early 20s, my life was pretty hopeless. And it was a a combination of a lot of stuff. You know, life just fucking sucked for me. 
And my life really didn't get better until I was like 25. And it wasn't until, you know, I started working. Well, it wasn't until I started kind of going out on my own and I got my yoga teaching certification. I started yeah. working in a grocery store. I started living in my best friend's closet. And I, I mean that literally, <laughs> not figuratively. As a gay guy. As a gay guy. And then, and, then my, and then my wonderful partner moved into the closet with me. And my best friend could officially say that a gay couple lived in her closet. Um <laughs> <laughs> but, and you know, my life just got so much better when I had a, a job and I was doing life on my own and I was kind of figuring shit out. I'm one of those people who I, I, I do so much better outside of school. I do. I hate school. I was miserable in was school. Was it the, the specific school that you went to? It, it was just school. You know, just I, the motions I'm of just the thing. bad at school. I don't yeah. do well. You know, I've been diagnosed with a lot of really severe learning disabilities and I'm smart. I know that about myself, but I'm, I'm not smart in, in the right ways for school. And that's just the way it is. Mm. So things looked really helpless through my teens and 20s. You know, I dropped out of high school. I was really suicidal. Yeah. I was struggling with my orientation in a very conservative community. Yeah. I think I just would have told myself, I think I would have told myself that this isn't, <clears throat> that this isn't as big as I think it is. That in general, <laughs> that in general, in, yeah. you know, when like I'm whatever teen, you're experiencing, whatever I'm, ex well, all, well, and I know that that sounds that that would sound belittling to 16 year old me, but it's and, true. And it does. And infuriated and it does. me whenever people would it's say that. It's infuriating. But I would also tell myself I'm that you're, you know, I would tell myself that I'm not stupid because that was the big mm. thing that I believed about myself. I believed that I was stupid because I failed so many classes. I dropped out of high school and then I failed six classes in college. And it was like I was smart, but in the, all the wrong ways. And I just felt like such a failure. And I believe I, I was received this message. I received this message inadvertently that I just sucked at life yeah. and that I wouldn't be able to make it. And then it got to the point where I just kind of gave up because you started to believe it. I started to believe it. And, it, you know, it, it wasn't until my incredible yoga instructor, Martia Rackman, who's just an absolute master. She, uh, I, I did her teacher training and suddenly I was surrounded by people who were like me. And suddenly I was surrounded by people who, who thought in different ways. And, you know, look, and I learned I wasn't stupid. And then I got a job and I became a manor, manager at that job. And yeah, it's a grocery store, but who gives a fuck? I was able to survive. <laughs> and, you know, it, it wasn't the job that, that, you know, ambitious millennials want, but who gives a fuck? It was a job and I was good at it. And I was able to be, you know, work in that social environment and be okay. And then I found a partner and that worked out against all odds. And so it, I would... It turned out that all the things that I thought I was going to be a failure at, I haven't been. Life has been great. This is mm. the happiest I've ever been. And so I would tell younger me that I'm not an idiot. And it takes some people, it just takes time to learn what you're good at and learn the ways you're smart. I think it's important. <clears throat> it, it makes me wonder, as I'm hearing you talk about that, if there really is something that you can say to yourself <clears throat> or to a younger version of yourself that would change the course of your history or if it's simply that you have to walk through it. I like think you, you have to walk through it. You just it. have, like, you are going to, probably in your <clears throat> 20s, like late teens, early 20s, go through some some shit. And you're going to fuck it, up. It's going to hurt. Yeah. You're going to go through 
the worst relationships you've ever had in your life. You're going to have fallouts with your family. You are going to, you're going to burn bridges with people. You're going to lose friends. Like you're, all of this stuff is going to happen over five, six, seven years. And the important thing is if you want to be a better person and you want to enjoy life to the, to the fullest, walk through it. Exactly. Just go through it. Live it. Yeah. <clears throat> you need to know what it feels like to have those experiences. Know what it feels like. I will also say one more thing, and it's, it, it is the, the most nerdy, dorky, idiotic thing, but read or find a mentor. <laughs> Because all the ways this is like a PBS. Like this is commercial. a PBS commercial. <laughs> this is read and find a mentor. I mean, I I feel like I'm still alive because the things that I read genuinely helped me. And I don't mean self help. I mean, when you read, you are you are bolstering your creativity. You are strengthening your creativity yeah. by through the very act of reading in a yeah. way that is not true for video games or movies. I'm not saying that those are bad. I love both of those. Yeah, I, I think they're great and I think they strengthen us in other ways. But I think reading in particular strengthens our creativity in a way that makes us more likely to survive and to think out of the box and, and creatively about a problem. Yeah. And and so reading, I realized, gave me the tools, not just the things I learned in reading, but the very act of reading. Yeah, because it takes discipline. <clears throat> it doesn't take discipline to sit down and play a game that is constantly stimulating you. <clears throat> exactly. Um, it, it does take a certain amount of discipline yeah. to open a book and to keep your eyes on the page and to think through what you're reading to be able to absorb I, it. So, you know, while I was failing classes in college or in high school, I was reading a lot of Ray Bradbury. Oh, my God. And, you know, Ray Bradbury, great author. Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit 451 and Martian Chronicles and Something Wicked This Way Comes and The Illustrated Man and all of those books. The, the ability to imagine something outside of what you're experiencing means that you're able to hope for something and reach towards something. Yeah. And, you know, when we lose that, we kind of lose everything. And so I think reading is important, but then also I'm pretty sure I'm alive because I had older, wiser people looking out for me mm. and kind of teaching <clears throat> me. And, you know, I had Timothy Wilds, who, you know, who's, yeah. who's a great friend and um, several mentors who were able to walk me through some very dark times. <clears throat> if I didn't have those people, I don't know where I would be. No, yeah. I love that. I think I think that's I think that's totally fair. <clears throat> you just have to go through it. Um, <laughs> All right, next. <laughs> I'm holding up the board to see questions, and now I can't see because the board is just like amazingly. And, and I have huge. no idea what's coming. I have no idea what these questions are. Yeah. Okay. Here's a good one. Mm -hmm. I had to think really hard about this one. I'm still thinking really hard about this one. What is something that always inspires you? It is an eternal well. An eternal well of inspiration. In what way? Do you mean in life or in my art or in... Just, I don't even think it matters. Just one that always works. Something, There's always water in it. Something that always works. Reading. It's super boring. But for real, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis says something really profound. And I've been trying to find this quote and I haven't been able to lately. But it, it, it he says essentially that... A person who doesn't read lives in a suffocatingly small universe mm. with only his own mind and his own perspective. But to the literate person, the person who does read, suddenly you experience the Napoleonic Wars. Suddenly right. you experience <clears throat> other times and other places and other perspectives and other people. And your world suddenly feels vast. Mm. And I find that 
the collapse of my world is the most destructive thing. When my world becomes suffocatingly small, that is when I can't create and that is that that's when I can't create and that is when I can't think and that is when I can't connect and that is when I can't be healthy. That's when depression sets in for me. See, that's so weird because <clears throat> you know, I I think that maybe there is a there should be a distinct differentiation between what you mean by small world in that I feel like you're talking about it in terms of like literary um, I mean, a literally I mean, cognitively. World. Right. Yeah. I, I mean don't necessarily think that being more connected to the world via social media, the <laughs> platforms like that have the effect that you're and that talking was, about. That was actually one of the things that I was going to say is, yeah. I, is I think social media also creates a small stifling world. Yeah. It creates a small stifling world because we, um, it doesn't give us the opportunity to to form long-term memory. Long-term memory is the vast cathedral of the mind that is, as far as we know so far, pretty much infinite. It can contain a lot. Yeah. And by a lot, untold amounts right. of stuff. Well, guess guess how that inner cathedral, that inner playground, that vast inner playground of, of meaning and imagination, guess how it's built? Through focus and not just through focus mm. but long-term focus right so it had you have to be focused and you have to be focused over a long period of time in order for it to pass through the bottleneck into long-term memory sure and then once it's in long-term memory then it can stay there yeah well guess what's <laughs> happening with social media it's constant distraction and it's the illusion of connectedness. It's the illusion of a, of living in a vast world. What's missing is that the end result though, is that we don't create a rich interior world. And it is from a rich interior world that all meaningful connection is made. I don't think you get great ideas about the world. <clears throat> oh, I do. Social media. Like I, I feel like. Well, I, I, yeah, no, when I say I do, I mean, I get great ideas from books and from reading articles right. and essays and but i i don't get great insight yeah, about you're, humanity you're right there's, there's something media. about it that kind of shrinks the experience in much the same vein i feel like for me that that my eternal wellspring is a bit of a moving target but i always get there by simply being quiet absolutely getting by myself it's another kind of being solitude alone. i mean yeah I mean, it really is i mean i think that's why i love just kind of being alone so much because it always amazes me like the the thoughts that i'll have or how everything just sort of starts to fall into place like the room kind of cleans itself maybe yes. would be a great metaphor for that um well you know this is something that i teach on in yoga all the time which is when you turn your awareness when, when you enter a place of stillness and you turn your awareness to yourself, really bathe your psyche and the sensations within your body in the loving presence of your awareness and just be there in stillness, things start to shift on their own. And that's the miracle of mindfulness meditation is that it doesn't even take any effort. Yeah. All you do is just pay attention. And that act of paying attention means that things start to rearrange and be illuminated. And it's really incredible, even yeah. healed, even emotionally healed or let go or released. And that that's the miracle of presence um, is that we can do it without any effort. Yeah. 
And, and so, yeah, so reading and, and that kind of solitude, they're both forms of meditation. They're both forms of going inward. I think that we constantly live in a world that's trying to get you to pay attention always. Absolutely. Con- and, and they, they want to shame you for not paying attention or not being as well informed <laughs> as you, as you could be, or as they think that you should be. And the, the weird thing is, I feel like there's such wisdom that comes from just being quiet and being alone and being silent. And you have to, like we were talking about this earlier when, when Davey was here living in the misery. Yes. Like everybody feels uncomfortable. Everybody feels super uncomfortable a hundred different times throughout the day. Yes. It doesn't mean you have to check your Instagram account. Exactly. It doesn't mean that we're like, we're constantly just moving from one thing to the next and trying to find any distraction from being alone with ourselves. But you never experience the joy of being at peace with yourself if you never learn to live with yourself. Exactly. And I feel like the world gives us every excuse to not know who we are. And if we if we constantly give into that and we don't know who we are, how can we truly know one another? How can we have the exactly. meaningful connections that we really desire in in relationships and in love and in marriage and and all these different things like, you know, we're old enough now. We have so many friends that we are, we see this play out like yes. with different people in our lives. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a partner who's a former Jesuit, a former <laughs> Jesuit yeah. novice who, whose life was built <clears throat> on solitude and meditation. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he brings to my relationship, he brings to our relationship, this, this very profound individual depth that he has. And with that, he has a great deal of privacy and a great deal of depth that I will never fully plumb, (laughs) that I will never fully understand or reach and vice versa. And and I think that that makes our relationship incredibly rich. Uh, This is also (laughs) pertinent for, you know, since this is a podcast about music and about the, the process of creating this is also pertinent for creators Mm. you know i think the temptation for us as creators is to flee the silence and go to the limelight and go to the noise i would call that looking for inspiration yes i feel like when you if you flip your laptop open and you're a musician or you're a creator of any kind i think the temptation is to say oh my gosh i can google something or i can purchase this instrument or i can do this thing that i that i think somehow will inspire me and i feel like that's a falsity like that's it is in the words of Neil Gaiman, get bored. Yeah. <laughs> you have to get bored. The best ideas come. Such good advice. Get bored. Get really bored. Go on long walks in the woods. Spend an afternoon in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, do something with your hands. Yep. Clean the house. Get really bored. Do manual labor. Do manual that, labor. That's what I try to tell the people. The dishes, for me, the dishes are great. That's where I get a I lot of ideas. I love cutting grass. It's like my favorite. I exactly. cut grass all day long. <laughs> running a, running the cash register at the store. I get yeah. some of my best ideas for for posts and yeah. and podcasts. Yeah. yeah. I you know and I hope that I will always have that kind of connection to to that kind of labor. I hope that I will and just to people, you know, I hope that I will always have some kind of work like a cashier job that makes that forces me to be mindful and work with my hands something mundane and something connected miraculously mundane miraculously mundane because that's where some of the best stuff comes from i love that steven um tell me the last aha moment that you had because everybody has these in life so yeah so i i the will last aha moment yeah like i'll preface that with saying i feel like i constantly have these sort of aha moments in life where i'm like I realize something about myself mm. or about 
the world or about the way I'm responding to it that's ineffective or it changes the way that I that I view myself or other people or the world around me. <clears throat> so like, for instance, uh, one of the, one of the big things for me was like, I can't remember how, how many years ago this was, but something, something kind of like flipped inside of me. And I suddenly started seeing everyone who was older than I was, <clears throat> who I would have considered to be more of an adult that I was, or to have it more together than me. All of a sudden, something just kind of like switched. And I was like, every single one of these people, no matter how much I look up to them or that I don't respect them, they're all dealing with the same yes. problems that I have. They're all, they all have the same failures that they're trying to work through. They all have the same struggles, like, and maybe not entirely, but like everybody's dealing with something. You know what I mean? Like mm, everybody's, mm -hmm. like the human experience is shared. And so, shitty. Right. It's shared so and it's shitty. Thinking and about people, right, yeah, exactly. We all have it. And thinking about people as being either above you or below you is a fallacy. Yes. Nobody has it more together than you. They're just in a different place, space or place. Yeah. It's like you have the card that you were dealt. Exactly. Um, you know, I feel like the past four years have been a season of a lot of growth for me and yeah. a lot of growing up. And so I've actually had a lot of these and I can't, and I don't actually really know which one is the last one. And I don't know which one is more important. But I think one of the big things, and it's one of those things that sounds so broad as to almost be cliche and meaningless, but to me it has a lot of meaning, which is I can't control other people. And that so much of my anguish in life comes from trying to control the beliefs and perceptions of others. Which is so weird because I feel like ever since I've known you, you've been very delicate about that like about voicing your opinion but also not strong arming people yeah. and also being very humble about like what you do what you know and what you don't know yeah well like, you must have not known me very well i mean i guess not <laughs> <laughs> well no 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 Jeez. i mean what no what i mean is i think a lot of my attempt to control the, that was a manifestation of that uh. to always be so delicate and to always be so two-faced, two which to me, I feel like I was, instead of just saying, this is where I am, this is what it is. If you don't like it, that's okay. I'm always willing to talk about it. And and to not worry and to not be kept up at night of, of what that other person thinks about me or whatever. And and to just stop controlling that. to to Because really worry about what other people think I realized for me is a form is is a attempts at manipulation. See, I, I wonder about this kind of stuff all the time too, because I'm like, you know, am I am I being nice out of a true innate benevolence towards others? Right. Because I wish I wish well for them. Like I want good things for them. Like there there's something altruistic about my nature and I'm I'm doing my best to sort of convey that to people. Or am I just being nice to people because I'm so afraid of being unliked? Right. I get and it. And the reason I go out of my way to be nice to people is because I can't handle not being liked by someone. Which one's true? Which is not necessarily like I, a right. bad thing as well. Sure. I feel like at their extremes, they're both pretty terrible. I think so too. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, no, that's, you know, I the big thing for me was Christianity and my homosexuality. I could not be happy until the church agreed with me or until 
I was somehow in congruence with my faith until I was somehow in congruence with my faith community. I mean, in regards to my orientation, and does, it, does that mean acceptance, acceptance, or, or or at least maybe not even acceptance, at least seeing past the cliches mm. and seeing my humanity as a gay person, which which a lot of Christians naively and with the best of intentions don't do. Can I ask you something about that? Yes. Was there ever a point where you found yourself wishing that the people in your religious sphere or circle or this community that you mentioned, that they would have been willing to make just a sweeping motion of saying, Stephen, we love you. We don't really care what the Bible says about this thing. Mm -hmm. We choose you because we feel like Christ chose us. Sometimes I wonder... About would, those kinds of things. Like, would that have changed anything? I don't know. Like, the more powerful thing to me sometimes, and I don't, I'm not saying that I'm right about this, but I'm just like, the most powerful moments uh, that I've ever experienced as a person are with people who are willing to say, to leave the book behind, yes. to leave the law behind, to leave the rule behind, to leave the social norm <laughs> behind, and just say, you know what? I don't care about all this other stuff. I just, if it means that we can still be friends, I'm going to err on the side of just loving you and I've, just like being there for you. The, you know, the most healing moments in my life relationally with the church are when people have done just that Yeah, for me. You know, I've had... It sounds like heresy Like when I say it out loud. I'm not necessarily saying like, turn your back on every, like your entire faith and the Bible and everything. And it's either God or Stephen. But you know what I mean? But when it's, the rubber meets the road. Right. The... Faith comes down to how we engage with other human beings. And right. at least that's what I believe, that, yeah. that my faith is predicated upon how I treat and interact with other creatures, most right. of all other fellow human beings. Right. And no, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who, when I was really struggling with this, they, and they were conservatives, they said, you know what, Stephen, I don't know anymore. I just want you to be happy. <laughs> Like, and then they go hang out with their straight friends. And they're like, oh yeah, Steven's burning in hell. Exactly. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. I'm sure some of them did. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the sitcom version of your story. Um, yeah. I don't know how well I'm, I, I answered the, those last two questions. No, but, I, I love it. That's the thing okay. that I'm hitting on. Like, I almost feel like there's this weird, powerful story arc of people leaving leaving the sacred choosing complexity to find yeah to find something beyond just secular and sacred absolutely like good or bad and and when i think about it in those terms of like it's not about sacred it's not about secular that's like the very first story that i when i read the bible that's what the very first story is to me it's yes. eating of the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil yes it's deciding that you know that you can tell the difference mm that you know what one is and what the other is. And, and at that point, everything's black and white. And we very clearly suffer from living in a world full of beliefs and systems that are black and white. And people suffocate in those two colors. Yes, they do. They, they need more colors and, than that and you know, <laughs> to I've, live in. I've had so many people come to me and say, I, I have watched you struggle with this for so long. I cannot conceive of a God who wouldn't still embrace you and accept you and love you, even if you have a partner. Yeah. And, and they've said, you know, I now understand the depth of this suffering in a way that I never did before. I don't know anymore and I don't care anymore. I just want you to, to be happy and I want to 
have a friendship with you. And and those few friends really, really meant a lot to me. Yeah. Really mean a lot to me. I feel like at some point the argument just wears you out. Oh God. You know, the <laughs> the argument that was one thing, you know, actually going back to that first question of trying to realizing I don't have to control other people. Yeah. There was a point at which I was just like, I'm done with the argument. Right. I'm done trying to control people. I'm done with being a gay apologist. I'm Did it make you happier? It. it made me uh, being a gay apologist. No, or it, just, leave, it made me so much happier. My, stopping trying to control people. Stop trying to control people. I stopped trying to control the beliefs of others because the reality is we will all disagree. We will always disagree. Like if if the two of us sit here and talk long and hard enough, we're going to find something that we have deep disagreements about. Sure. That's just reality. The, the idea that I have to agree with everyone and that's not okay <laughs> if I don't agree with them is an illusion. Because we all disagree. Now, so, now the, the disagreement over whether I should get married or not, that is a pretty fundamental and morally fraught issue, which does have consequences. I'm not saying it doesn't. But at some point, I have to be able to just go to sleep at night and be okay. Yeah. At some point, <clears throat> I just have to be able to wake up in the morning and kiss my partner and make coffee and go to work and just live an ordinary life and not yeah. have to worry about what other people think. Now, sadly, there are a lot of people in the world who socially are not able to do that because their society is so oppressive towards gay people. But I'm at a point where I have the luxury and the privilege to be able to do that. And so, I love that. and so I do. And, and then when I'm able to, I go back into gay apologist territory. But above all, I've learned that relationship, long-term relationship with people is what changes people. And I've watched so many conservatives change their mind on this gay, on the gay issue because of <laughs> friendship, right? because of friendship <clears throat> with me or someone I know. And more than anything else, first of all, I believe that that the future of these social justice issues is predicated on conversion. Sure. And I and, and you know, it's based on the conversion of people where once they believed one thing, now because of relationship and deeper thought, they believe something else. And very often that comes through a combination of friendship and uh, confrontation. I mean, intellectual confrontation, like, uh, I don't think that's right. And here's why. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's both. No, I, I, I completely agree with that. I, I always wish, I feel like there's a safe wish for other people that I can have. It's for those things. It's that they, when it comes to these issues that they feel so angry about, I mean, e even within my own family and in like growing up in the South, you know, you get a ton of this stuff where people are like, there's just sort of this unspoken people being weirded out by gays or not entirely understanding LGBT community, like, or it just kind of being like a hush hush thing amongst people who yeah. primarily identify as being straight. And it's like, I find myself even with my own family. Why do you have such an opinion about something that you know nothing about. Well, you know, one of the things that I always want to tell people, because this is something that I run, in, run into with everyone, yeah. myself included, is I don't understand something. I don't know. I don't understand why they do that. I don't understand. <laughs> and what I, what I always want to say. So why do, why do you get angry? Because well, you don't understand. And, and then, what, and then what, I, what I always want to say is, yeah. well, why don't you find out? Yeah. 
<laughs> why do, you know what i mean it's so simple yeah, yeah. why don't you find out if something if you don't understand something why don't you take the time to figure out why yeah it's that simple that's yeah. true that's that's great advice speaking of uh taking the time to find out uh-huh here's one that it seems like everybody that i asked this question <laughs> They kind of get this weird cloud that forms over their head, uh-huh. <laughs> which tells me that they have a cool story, but they're just like hesitant to share it. You're setting me up for a failure. I like, am. I'm sure I'm uh, not going to have. Absolutely. I'm sure yeah. I'm not going to have a cool story. I'm just like cool telling story. everybody to get ready for it. Um, <laughs> have you, have you ever been in love? Oh God, yes. And how, how many times have you been in love? Oh family? goodness. I've been in a, in a, I've been in love a lot. Has your idea of love Change yes. would you categorize yes. all of the love that you've been in as the same thing? No, I so this actually gets into uh, inadvertently gets into a really big, um, under discussed issue of being gay, which is so when I was in high school, everything was in heterosexual terms, sure, the songs, the movies the sex talks, the purity culture, everything good and bad, toxic and healthy was all heterosexual. And so I lived in this orbit outside of all that. And so when I had my first crush on a guy in high school, I had no idea what was happening to me and it destroyed me. And it turned into one of the most destructive and toxic and damaging experiences of my, of my time in high school simply because I didn't have a context to understand what I was experiencing. And it didn't take me until I was about 23 to understand, or 23 or 24, to understand that a crush wasn't mental, mental illness. Because if you don't know what a crush is, that's what it feels like. That's interesting. That think you, about that you, it. That you would put it that way. Yeah, think about it. Think about times in your life when you've had a crush and no one told you that it's a thing or you <laughs> never <laughs> can like imagine what it's that's just like. a little crush. It's just a little crush. Yeah. This is normal. And you and you can't stop thinking about this person. You can't stop. And you're obsessing over this person. And you're like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And you, it feels like you're ill. It feels like you're sick. Mentally. That, I, I, I think that's true because I think that you're expending. I mean, I'm trying really hard to remember back that far to like what my first sure. crush would have been. But it's like you're expending this brand new case of emotional energy that you didn't know that you had. Yeah. And you kind of are starting to obsess about things. And I, what I remember most about that is not necessarily about the like, like the sexual awakening no. aspect of it, but it's just like the fact that I could look at another person and all of a sudden out of nowhere, just be completely infatuated by how yes. that person is like, move yes or, or talk or, or talk laugh or, 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 or smile or the things that they were interested in or how they exactly. draw what their handwriting looked like exactly and it's like why where does that come from and if you don't and first of all okay so there are kind of these two levels to it where if homosexuality isn't talked about then you assume that you're normal and so you assume that you the way you relate to women very platonic very not exciting at all. You assume that that's you normal. You think the way I relate to women is not exciting, Stephen. That's not true. 
<laughs> that isn't what I was saying. No, but like what? But, but, what what could somebody then, have said to you right then though that would have that would have helped that? Is there something that somebody could have said that would have helped you normalize I don't know. that? I don't know. Well, I wish the the only way I think it would have been normalized is if I I lived in a community where it, where it was okay yeah. and where you know. It, Instead of it being like a cute teenage crush, it turned into this devastating thing that caused me to almost take my life. Because so there's this there's a um, there's an author named uh, named um, Alan Downs. He's the author of a book called The Velvet Rage, which talks about a lot of the hurdles, the psychological and emotional hurdles that gay men have to go through. And one is uh, what he calls stage one relationships, and they are they are the budding relationships that gay men have when they are so repressed and and so ashamed overwhelmed and drowning in shame these relationships are almost always just incredibly dangerous and deadly sure. because the combination of that volatile you know teenage energy romantic sexual yeah. erotic energy combined with shame that huge and monstrous just creates this horrible dynamic yeah and so you know that was those were my first experiences i was deeply in love with a guy named gabriel who this is complicated because he was Catholic and celibate and com and committed to gay celibacy. Yeah. I was converting to Catholicism and right. very committed to the traditional sexual ethic. And we fell in love and we found ourselves in this situation where we were deeply in love, but there was no hope. Is this the same person that we were just talking about? No. Okay. No, this is so the first person, person you're talking about was this, and, it was your first crush. This was in high school. And this is a much more this mature. Is a, this of, is as an adult. Right. This was. Okay five years ago, five or six years ago. Yeah. And, um, and that relationship of course fell apart because then there becomes the question of what is a sexual act? It's just looking at your partner right, a sexual right. act because then that can be very sexual. Yeah. What about holding his hand? What about hugging? I mean, all of these things. And, and what I found is that it was just so unsustainable and so destructive. And, and I, w I was convinced he was the one. I loved him to death. And then out of the blue, he broke up with me and it just destroyed me. And then... Was it out of the blue looking back on it? Like getting It was not out of the blue looking back on it. Okay. It was, it was doomed. This is just kind of a testament to maybe how, how cloudy it might have felt. Absolutely. In your head. I, my current partner I'm deeply in love with. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, of course I've had relation, I've had other relationships and I've had it, but, but the partner, my current partner is, so Amanda Palmer, the musician yeah, talk in her book, the art of asking talks about her husband, the author, Neil Gaiman, and how she was used to relationships. She was used to relationships being going from fuck me to fuck you in less than a week. <laughs> You know, like those are her words, you know, like, like, right, or dropping right. down a well and it being yeah. so fast and so exciting. And then you go splat at the yeah. bottom. Yeah. And, and then she said, but meeting Neil Gaiman was like being Alice in Wonderland and leaping into that will and into that well and her dress just opening up and like, and being like a, a parachute and she's floating down. And that's the way it was. That's, that's some nice imagery for, yeah. uh, for a relationship. I mean, that's the way it was with John, where <laughs> it was just so quiet. Yeah. 
It wasn't fireworks. Mm -hmm. It was just this very quiet knowing. And, you know, kind of, I've learned a lot about relationships being with John. One is wit. One is that romance is kind of this fleeting thing. Romance is this, it's wonderful, but it's this fleeting thing. And it, and that the, the real root of it is friendship. And then even deeper than that, the root of it is respect. And that more than anything above all else, I respect John. Yeah. And, um, that he's just an incredible human being and I'm honored to be his partner. I feel honored to share a life with him because so, I genuinely respect him. This is different than you were. Oh, it's totally than your different. your other experiences with what it's you would call totally love. Totally different. And and I mean, there are times when, and, and then there are times when I, when I do deeply emotionally feel it. I mean, there are times when I lay in bed next to him as I'm falling asleep and I'm just like, how is it physically possible to love another human being this much? You know, like how is it possible to feel this overwhelmed with love for another human being. It it feels so huge that yeah. I can't contain it. You know, and so I have these moments and they're just very quiet where, you know, he's normally passed out next to me because he has work in the morning and he's exhausted. And, yeah. and we are both exhausted. We both work incredibly hard. So this is this is weird for me because I like I wonder when people talk about love, like I think about my own experience with love where I feel like most of the time people describe love as maybe being their emotional ceiling. Absolutely. Um, And when that ceiling changes, people either move through that with the person that they're with or sometimes circumvent whatever that relationship is and say, well, I don't think, you know, or maybe they start to, to develop feelings for somebody else and then they move on to that. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, maybe I didn't have real love with this person, but maybe I do have it yeah. with this person. And then I feel like love is constant, like regardless, love constantly, as we define it, sort of gets tied to that emotional yeah. ceiling, which I feel like is pretty unstable. It's very unstable. <laughs> well, and, and you know, most of the time, I can't tell you how I feel towards John because it's beyond that. It's about how I choose to live. It's how okay. I choose to respect him and how he chooses to respect me. It's how we choose to do life together. Right. It's how I, little things, how I know that he doesn't like a messy kitchen. So I clean up the kitchen for him. Yeah. I know that he doesn't like so-and-so, so I do. He knows that I don't like this or I don't, we know that we love this. There's ways that you respect each there other. There are ways that, yeah. we, that we respect each other. Um, and we can spend hours talking. And we can also spend hours in silence. Yeah. And it's all okay. Yeah. I don't know if this might help with that. Yes. One of the things that I noticed was that, you know, like when you're a teenager, you're right. Like we talked about this earlier. Everything feels so big. Like your feelings feel big. Your emotions feel really big. Um, the, the energy that and the links that you are willing to go for another person for no reason whatsoever other than yes. hormones is just is insanely irreverent. <laughs> it is. I, I don't know. It's 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 not it's not sustainable. Yeah, but but, but the, then the older that you get, the better it becomes. I, see, here's the thing: is that when you put in the work, those sparks come back on occasion, and usually better than before, and more fulfilling. And so, you know, that rush. It's now a for me. It's now a different kind of rush. It's a more grounded rush. Sure. But but it 
there are times when it still comes back and yeah. it's awesome. But I don't even think that those moments of rush are the best points anymore for me and my relationship. Mm. There, It's now like... It's the day in day out. It's the boring stuff. I can absolutely relate to that. I, yeah. I, I was going through all of those emotional highs to kind of it's get, exhausting. Get to this place where I'm like, you know, one of the things that I love about my wife is that, like, I'm a really anxious person, mm. and I I struggle with that a lot, and like dealing with that and dealing with my emotions and and everything else. And that's like not a secret. I'm so comfortable around her. Yeah, exactly. It, like there, I don't feel like there was this, there wasn't this like super huge, like firework crazy moment. It was just like, no, very quietly, something very special happened. Yes. Like, I don't really care about and that, all, and that, all the other stuff. I just. And that really quiet, special thing is, I think, I think it can be called trust. You know, when you trust another person and there's this sense of, of safe bonds. Yeah. Because, you know, no matter how, how old we get, we will always need a sense of safety. We always need a sense of safety and security and trust. And well, you and I both know those people that are constantly chasing yeah. that, that ceiling yes. or self-sabotaging the ceiling to get out of relationships that they're in like yes. to try to move on to like that next feeling. And I feel like I, at some point you have to say, I think I'm just chasing a feeling. Exactly. I think I'm just worshiping like a discharge of dopamine in exactly. my brain. And it's addictive. Yeah. And you never get to that point we were talking about earlier. You never get to the quiet meditative. Yes. Can you be still, can you be quiet with this person and see what flowers from that? Like, yeah. You know, it's really interesting you bring up self-sabotage because I did a lot of self-sabotage in my relationship early with John. Yeah. And I don't need to go into all the details, but I I was terrified. Yeah. And it was so overwhelming, I think in part because I'd never been in a healthy relationship before and all and I was used to kind of grind up grind up. <laughs> I was used to grinder hookup culture. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was, I was kind of, I was used to the underbelly, to the unhealthy underbelly where secure connection, where I didn't understand what a secure connection was or what I was looking for. Right. And because of that, I mean, I was just deeply anxious, deeply anxious. And that anxiety pushed me away from John and it almost destroyed our relationship. But, and I did not know if I wanted to be with John. I was these deep conflicting feelings. One, oh my God, he's amazing. He's so perfect. He's, he's a great human being. I can see myself being with him for the rest of my life. On the other hand, I'm so terrified. I'm not always attracted to him. <laughs> I'm not Always, you know, just all of these things, the naysayer, and it was such a huge conflict. It drove me insane. Mm -hmm. And then there was this one pastor who finally said to me, Stephen, Jonathan is the kind of man who comes along once in a lifetime. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> you know, Jonathan is, <laughs> and, and then Nathan, my, you know, our mutual friend, Miss Ida, Nathan, Nathan Adams, the fabulous yeah. drag queen. He, when I told, when I told Miss Ida about about Jonathan, he said, wow, he sounds really amazing. Well, in the words of RuPaul, good luck and don't fuck it up. <laughs> but, but you know, this, this one pastor said, this is the kind of man who comes along once in a lifetime. Sure. And he's <laughs> worth fighting for. I did a lot of self-sabotage, but then I, I finally decided, and it was a choice mm. that this is a person I'm going to be with 
and I love him. And it's okay if I'm not always attracted to him. No one is always constantly attracted to their partner. Yes, I'm going to be attracted to other people. That's okay. What matters is the the kinship bond and the trust bond and the secure attachment that we build with one another. And that just grows slowly and it's deep and it's wonderful and and it's something that requires a work but within that sacred space between two people who have committed themselves to creating a sacred safe bond sure it is a place of such warmth and such trust where like as you said you can be you're perfectly comfortable expressing your anxieties and your insecurities to your wife and you can't do that in in a relationship that doesn't have those secure bonds yeah i feel like there there are many times where relationships leave way more questions than answers yeah and a lot of it's just deciding who you want to spend the rest of your life exactly. asking questions with and it's a choice um all right if you Oh man, get ready. Okay. <laughs> get ready because I'm thinking about this one for me and I'm yeah, every single instance that I'm coming up with in my mind kind of depresses me a little bit. Uh-huh. Maybe we should talk about that. Let's well, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Um <laughs> if you could take back one thing that you've said oh, so far Jesus. in this in, in in the entire script of your life. Oh God. You can take back one thing. Where would it be? Hashtag life script take back. Oh God. <laughs> so stupid <laughs> i really regret a lot and and you know what's funny is i can't think of any specific things that in this context like any specific thing it's more of an attitude oh my change. god i was just thinking the same thing oh god <laughs> i i i still would have said that shitty thing but i would have said it a little nicer <laughs> <laughs> um i feel a lot of remorse for a lot of the things that I've said to my mom. Mm. Um, I feel like looking back, I took her for granted in a way that was deeply hurtful to her. Mm. And I feel like I took family in general for granted that in a way that looking back now, I realize was just deeply harmful mm. and I would definitely change that. Yeah. It's hard. That's your mom. Yeah. It's my mom. And you know, now, looking back, now that I'm an adult and there's a lot of distance between me and my parents, now, because of that distance, I really regret a lot of stuff that went Do you down. Feel like that isn't to say that I am entirely culpable. I don't. Yeah, but is it, is it something that you said that you feel like contributed to that distance? Is it the way that you took her for granted that you still like feel still has effects now? It's still I think so. You know, I think, I think that she's just really hurt by a lot of the stuff still by the stuff that I said, I think she's doing better, but I was not a great kid. <laughs> like I, And now I feel like I've, I've grown enough to be able to admit that, that, you know, there have been times in my life when I've been pretty shitty to people and I hate that. That makes me feel awful, but it's, I have to admit it. And yeah. I think one of the things that I really regret is how a lot of my interactions <laughs> with my mom went down that isn't to say that I'm the only one culpable. I think that there were issues on both sides. Yeah. But I wish that I had handled my relationship with my family better. I think that's the biggest one. I yeah. think that's my my biggest regret in terms of how I have connected with other people. I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily uncommon. Yeah. Like, no, I think <laughs> it I think it's so common. Families are really complicated. Families are tough. Families yeah. are really, really tough. 
It's why I will always just have cats. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about you? I, that, you know, I'm my knee jerk response to that question. Well, no, not even that. As I've sat here and like thought about it for a little bit, I think I more regret because I don't remember. Like I, I know that there, there's probably something that I said to someone that I don't even remember saying. Yeah, me too. And it was probably so damaging to that person. Yeah. I know, I know because people have come up to me and said, this thing that you said to me last week or last year or two years ago or whatever, that hurt so fucking much. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And like, and when people do that to me, I'm, oh my God, it's like moving a mountain to ever get me to acknowledge that they actually said something hurtful to me. So it's like, there are, if, when people have said really, really hurtful things to me. I'm like, no matter how much it hurts, I just try to internalize it mm. and not, not approach them. Cause I know that they didn't say it in such a way that, that they, that I'm taking it. Like I know that they must not have meant it in such a hurtful way. Mm. I think about all the kids that would come up to us at shows mm. who maybe needed to hear something or needed to hear a specific piece of encouragement or just needed me to take that extra 10 seconds more interest yeah. You know, to ask one more question about them to make it more about them that I didn't. Yeah. And maybe I, I don't, maybe there's somebody that I was dismissive of that I just did, I didn't know, or I was too tired. I wasn't paying attention or. I but, worry about that with listeners too. Yeah. Where listeners send a, a lot of listeners and readers send me messages and emails and so yeah. on. And there's always just this fear of, oh God, <laughs> yeah. am, am I, I responding am I, yeah, in, in exactly. a in an attentive way. But like you were saying, I feel more of like a tone. I remember real, I remember big fights in my life. Hmm. I remember big fights and I don't even, even remember like what was said. Like I, in particular, I, I know, I, I remember I had this really, really bad fight with an ex-girlfriend and I don't remember what I said to her during this fight, but I was like, I was losing my shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was on the phone with her. I remember being in a parking lot outside of an apartment complex in Nashville. I just got back from tour and I got back to my car and somebody had taken all the seats out oh, of my car. No. I thought I had been robbed. I come to find out it was just some friends that lived in the apartment complex were like, it'd be really funny for Matt to come <laughs> home and not have seats in his car. Um, but I just remember being like in <laughs> tears on the phone, screaming into the phone hmm. at her. It didn't matter what she had done. Like, yeah, we had problems. We had, we had, we did, we were young and we didn't know what we were doing. And it it was like a a really, it was a complicated relationship to say the least. But regardless of all of that, I still to this day feel like shit for yelling at her. Like on, on the phone in the parking lot. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't like, you know, us being like face to face and me like getting violent or anything. It was like the farthest thing from that. But just the attitude that I had and the anger that I felt towards this situation and towards this person, I still feel guilt for feeling that strongly, that negatively towards this person. Because I don't feel any of that now. Sure. Like, I kind of wish, I kind of wish that I had the opportunity to make it right. Yeah. Like to, or to say something or to apologize. To make amends. That's it. Yeah. Just, just to say, look, I was young. I was stupid. I didn't. Yeah. I, you, I should not have spoken to you that way. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the 12 steps and one of the. They're terrifying, Stephen. 
They're terrifying. Steps. If you've ever been through Alcoholics Anonymous, I have oh been. I have been through the twelve steps. I am a twelve stepper. Yeah, and they're intense. Not, not for Alcoholics Anonymous, but for another program called CODA, which is Codependence Anonymous. Yeah. So, you know, as they say in the twelve step world, you take away the alcoholism, you get rid of the the drug addiction. What you have left is a raging codependent. A codependent is someone whose center of gravity is just unhealthily tethered to another person or yeah. group of people either and zero boundaries and so code coda codependence anonymous is this program to to kind of help people regain a sense of self and that yeah. i had zero sense of self because my entire life was built on being the right person and not letting people find find out i'm gay and so while i was going through you know i was putting all my energy into managing my orientation in the church when I should have been forming a healthy sense of self. And I never got to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I went through CODA and that really helped me form a sense of boundaries and a sense of self. But, you know, one of those, one of those steps, I forget which one it is, is to make a, take it to make a, a fearless moral inventory. Mm. And oh my God, doing that step with my sponsor was murder where she where i had to you know, i would have needed like a whole nother recovery oh, to get, god to go oh it myself. was so hard i mean yeah and and my sponsor was this was this wonderful country lesbian like <laughs> like down to earth brutally honest country lesbian equestrian lesbo yes exactly and she helped me so much she, you know speaking of those mentors right. she was one of those mentors who really got me through and yeah. she um but yeah no having to sit down and just journal every single fuck yeah. up that i've ever had but then you know it, once you are able to admit it, then you can move on. So speaking of moving on from things, I'll, yes. do, I'll do one more question. All right. Um, <laughs> are, oh man, I really, really do need to make this one a good one. Oh God, what was, what's, what's coming? What was the last time that you felt embarrassed? Oh God. The last time I felt embarrassed, embarrassed. Was, was this week when I hit my employee's car and I'm having to pay her back. <laughs> like, that was pretty fucking embarrassing. Right. right. But it all works out. We're we're okay. We're tight. She's fine. I'm yeah. fine. And I will be paying for the repairs for her car. Yeah. Um because <laughs> I'm a stressed out manager. Right. Right. But yeah, no, that I think was the most recent embarrassing thing. But I have ever really dumb one. What, I mean, this that? is ridiculously dumb. Uh -huh. I mean, it's almost like just like a shitty version, uh, episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh -huh. So like I'm, we, we recently moved here to Canton, North Carolina. The internet here is amazing compared to where I did live, <laughs> which is out in the middle of nowhere. Um, where you are in danger right. of, of being raped by big feet. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, we live next to the abortion clinic bomber, which we talked that's about on the podcast more, before. That's yeah, like, even it was more a, frightening. It was a dark minute. Um, so like I, I get here and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can hook my Xbox up to the internet. <laughs> Uh -huh. And like, I'm not a huge gamer, but I do love playing Halo. I've played it since I was in like it's high school. Game. Yeah. And so we actually just got an Xbox. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I've realized that you can play online and that I've been missing an entire decade of being able to play online with people. <laughs> um, and so I go online and I set everything up to, to go play Halo and I start playing Halo 
And uh, I go into this mode where you basically just go into a huge map with a whole bunch of people and you just kill aliens. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this and I'm thinking to myself, man, you are just slaying, Matt. You've still got it. Like, this is going to be great. <laughs> like, I, can you give virtual high fives on this thing? Because get ready. People are going to be coming out of the woodworks. Um, and so I get this little notification that pops up on the screen. It's like, no, no. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. What is that? <laughs> and it's like a little message. And it's like, so-and-so sent you a message. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm making friends already. Like I'm going to have like a little halo team. We're going to go around and have fun. <laughs> and in the message, I finally figured out how to open it because I'm old and dumb. Mm -hmm. And I finally got into the message and it was like, dude, you totally killed with your ghost. And I was like, the, the ghost is just this little... Uh, vehicle that you drive around and shoot people in. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, like, this, this is my virtual high five. Like, this uh -huh. is the guy, like, calling to tell me, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. I killed a lot of Covenant with my ghosts. <laughs> this is pretty sweet. And is is everybody this friendly on the internet? The answer is no. Um, <laughs> no, that was like, I, and I thought, well, this is, this is pretty cool. Like, so I send him back a message, which you have to type out one letter at a time. So it's yeah. like super tedious and boring. <clears throat> and I was like, thanks, man. Kind of new to playing online, uh, but it was cool to play with you. And I sent it back to him. And like <laughs> yesterday morning, I got up and I got a message back. Uh -huh. And he had misspelled his original message. <laughs> what he had originally written, he had left the word me out of. So where I thought it read, dude, dude, you totally killed with your ghost. He meant to write, you totally killed me with your ghost. And he was like, his latest message is, you didn't have to be such an asshole about it. <laughs> Stay offline. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is what happens when 30 somethings uh, attempt the internet. Yeah. But anyway, that's the last time I was embarrassed, but not for long, because then we got to come podcast. <laughs> Excellent. And so. we got to work it all out. We're, we're okay now. We've done our, our group therapy. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, Stephen, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's my um, pleasure. Thank, thank you, everybody uh, listening to us this Friday. Man, we really love you guys. You make the, the show so much fun. Yeah, check out Stephen's podcast. It's called Sacred Tension. And uh, as always, you can hashtag 11DLife on Twitter and ask us anything that you want to. If you want a specific topic covered in the show, hit us up that way, and we will see y'all next week. 